Hey there, and thanks for tuning in. I've added this note to the beginning of my most recent and highest downloaded episodes to let you know of a few changes and hopefully avoid any confusion for you as listeners. You will hear me call the show Life After Business as well as reference various ventures I've been a part of over the years. When I started the show, I originally named it Life After Business because I was on a mission to learn everything I wish I would have known before we sold our family business back in 2014. And after 200 episodes and Tons of information that I've learned. I finally decided to change the name to better reflect me, the content, and the guests. One of the biggest lessons I've learned is business owners and entrepreneurs who were the happiest and most successful, in my mind, didn't focus only on sucking all the cash out of the company, and they knew the business was going to eventually continue on without them at some point in time. They literally knew exactly what they wanted from their business long term and why. They intentionally focused on building a valuable company so they could have the freedom of choices to do what they wanted from the business. So they focused on strategies that would grow value long term and give them the freedom to choose. You can learn more about the name change, my major lessons, and our definition of intentional growth in episode 200. Enjoy the episode that you're listening to right now, and thanks for being a listener. Welcome to Life After Business, the podcast that helps you understand how to increase the value of your business, what your company is worth, and what your exit options are. Host Ryan Tansom and his guests give you all the information you need to get clarity and control over your business and take pride in a valuable company that gives you freedom and choices to exit on your terms. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in amongst all the noise that's going on out there. We are going to be diving into extremely relevant and timely content today. As the world has come to a screeching halt and revenues have shrunk dramatically across the globe and it's hitting closer to home than ever, the need to manage your cash, build a short-term game plan, and revise your long-term strategy is more important than ever. No matter where you fall on the spectrum of the impact that COVID-19 has had on your company's revenues, this episode is a must-listen to. It's going to teach you what you can do to pull out of a nosedive, get your foundation in order, and then capitalize on opportunities that will inevitably present themselves. On the show today, we have Jeff Sands, who literally wrote the book, Corporate Turnaround Artistry, How to Fix Any Business in 100 Days. He has some insane background and experience that lends him to be one of the best thought leaders on how to turn around a company that has no cash, pull it out of a nosedive, and then capitalize on opportunities, whether that's an eventual exit or to go out and start acquiring companies. Not only has Jeff wrote the book about how to turn around a company, he has won the Turnaround Professional of the Year Award by the Merger and Acquisition Association Advisors three separate times. And his expertise and passion for turnaround companies is not just from some textbook or Harvard MBA program. Jeff grew up working in his family business and then returned as an adult to help grow it fix it, grow it again, and then get decimated by Hurricane Katrina, fix it again, and then eventually exit the business. His passion is so correlated to my passion about just helping people come through the hard times. He realized that there was no book, and what took him years and years and years and many, many heartaches, he was like, you know what? I need to write the book about this because they don't teach cash flow management and how to turn around a company in school or even in an MBA program. So what you're going to learn in today's episode is what it takes to turn around a business that's out of money, how to generate cash fast, how to build an alliance with all your stakeholders during your turnaround, how to identify your cash conversion cycle, typical vanity metrics that most entrepreneurs talk about, why your cash is oxygen and how to keep a business alive, what a 13-week cash flow statement looks like and how to build one, 
and then how to plan for growth once you get out of this turnaround and what your mindset should be like and how your mindset and your attitude could be one of your biggest assets during any kind of crisis and then how to get out of the crosshairs of the bank and then become their A student and how to manage that relationship. And then when you pull out of this, how to hit the accelerator so that you can be the one acquiring companies and or capitalizing on opportunities that most other people are not ready for because you're hitting the accelerator while everybody else is trying to break and manage the turn. I love this episode because when I started at our family business, we had lost upwards of 900 grand the first year and we spent five and a half years turning the business around, juggling a quarter million dollar payroll every two weeks, trying to manage the vendors, manage the suppliers, working with our employees. I've been through it all and I know that there's ways to get through it. So what took us five and a half to six years People can do this in a short amount of time if there's a game plan. And again, regardless of what part of the spectrum around, whether you just lost some revenues and you're trying to get your house in order or you were completely decimated, there's a way to figure this out. Because if you can figure out how to do your best work in the hardest times, you will be able to pull out of this and then absolutely capitalize on all the things to come. So there is hope. I absolutely love this episode. And there's a ton of gold nuggets for you to pull out of this, regardless of where your company's at right now. Because of what's going on right now, we're obviously not holding our boot camps where everybody gets together and learns about how to grow a valuable company. So what Pat and I have done is we are about two thirds done with our digital course, which is all of our best material about how to intentionally grow the value of a company with the end in mind. And we're creating a module that we're going to be including with this digital course about how to build your 13 week cash flow statement, how to be handling conversations with your vendors and your suppliers, your bankers, your employees. And then we're going to be bundling that all together so that that way you can figure out how to get your house in order right now. And then when you pull out of this, how to intentionally grow the value of your company with the end in mind using our five principles. So if you're interested in hearing more about that digital course until we get it out, which it should be out in the next handful of weeks, text 66 866, text the word intentional, and then I'll shoot you an email with uh, some follow-up details. There's going to be so many videos and exercises and spreadsheets and tools to use as you pull out of this, get your house in order, and then figure out how to intentionally grow the value of your company with the end in mind. So without further ado, here's my episode with Jeff Sands. Sponsored by Arcona's Growth and Exit Boot Camps. Two days jam-packed with material on the five growth and exit principles and the world of mergers and acquisitions. You'll walk away knowing exactly what steps to take to get your target valuation and your best exit option. Two days at Arcona's Boot Camp will give you the clarity to control the rest of your journey as an entrepreneur. Jeff, how you doing? Excellent. Thanks for having me. Um, I think uh, this uh, podcast is going to be pretty timely depending on when it gets released, but I think no matter what, we'll still be dealing with a bunch of stuff. And uh, whether there's you know, a little bit less uncertainty or more, <laughs> only time will tell, I guess. But for the listeners that are not familiar with you, your background, and why we're going to be talking about what we're going to be talking about today, like whether they know it or not, we started talking before all this shit hit the fan. So like we wanted you on the show because of my experience and turning around the family business. I was just telling you some of the raw stories of juggling cash flow for years on end and uh, tips and tricks that we were doing. But you know, there's uh, a lot of people that are going to be feeling some pain and you just wrote a book that packaged up all the stuff that you've uh, done for years. And I wish I would have had I wish I would have known you. I wish I would have had the book. We would have probably done some things in a little bit different order. But 
how the heck did you get into this? Give the, give the listeners a little bit of your background and, uh, and what, you, what you've done and why you wrote the book. Well, I, I really, I wrote the book for me because as you now know, I went through what you went through and um, I, I wrote it to you know, everybody else like us who's out there stumbling around and no one knows what do you do with a really stressed out business. There's, they don't teach it to you in school. There's no, um, you go to Barnes and Noble and there's four racks of management books and not a single title on saving a business. Um, nothing. And, uh, um, yeah, we've been talking for a couple months and uh, the ter- the topic of fixing a business, business turnarounds was moderately interesting uh, to the world a couple months ago. And now I think it's the uh, theme song of 2020. Yeah, it's uh, uh, cr- crazy. And and the book got published by Wiley at the end of uh, February. So um, it's probably the best time book ever. And it's, it is 336 pages of, and you, you tell me your opinion. I think it's pretty much the guerrilla style tactics of <laughs> fixing a business when the entire world's against you. <laughs> so true. Yeah. And you need a friend, right? <laughs> when that's happening. Yeah. And, and what I, the reason I, this is, very timely is not only this is going to be, I think that some of the stuff we're going to cover today is going to be what's necessary for anybody, wherever you are in the spectrum of running a business, right? You're going to have to, you you do your, what's the quote? You do your, your worst work in the best times and your best work in the worst times. So mm-hmm. no matter what, I think people need to take some of these fundamentals and then really put a hard look in the mirror. And then if they're going to get out of this and then literally be ready for the stuff that we teach is growing a valuable business to have the freedom and the options. They need to do these fundamentals correct. And I know you and I have a common uh, LinkedIn connection. I don't know the, the, the full extent that you know him, but Ken San Gennaro, who's yeah, a, I know pretty yeah, well. Yep. Because I know you're the AMA. And, you know, what he, his value opportunity profile came from his work as a turnaround consultant. So no matter mm-hmm. what, these are good fundamentals of business. So, you know, if you're listening in, this is not, you know, you don't have to be close to shutting the doors to get value out of what we're about to talk about. I think it's the true fundamentals of what good looks like. So Jeff, for the listeners, and I would, go, I, go for it, go for it. I would say, you know, this is a time of what's called radical change where this is being recorded March, 2020 <laughs> and wherever you are on the spectrum of, even if your business is booming, if you're in medical supplies or you're in packaging or something else that's booming, it is fortunes are made and lost in the, in these topsy turvy times. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if, if, if you're in a healthy business, I would say attack, 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 because there's so many opportunities that are going to be open and that door is going to close in 12 months. Mm-hmm. And, um, you got to be moving every bit as much as the, the the guy at the other end of the spectrum trying to survive. Very well said. And I think we're going to get into some of the stuff and make sure that we go get back in cover, like what people are talking about today and then mm-hmm. kind of some of the chatter. Cause I think you and I have got a, probably a high volume of people we talk to and that have, uh, you know, exposure to different communities. But before yeah. we go into that, like to get to leave the listeners hanging, like what's your background explain maybe the story and then how you got to the point of your, where you package it all into the book. And then we're going to jump into some of the practical, uh, practical applications in the book. Okay. So uh, quickly, I grew up in a family business. My dad started in high school, tried to put in the garage. My mom wouldn't let him. Very, very small manufacturing shop that grew to be uh, 285 employees at the peak. We were in New Orleans. I worked, you know, I was away from the family in the business until about 30. Uh, worked for a whole myriad of companies, startups to Fortune 500. Got my MBA, came back in the family business. Things were going well. And 2002, we hit a turnaround, uh, which I didn't know what the heck that was. 
our, our business had dropped out by outside factors, kind of like what's going on today, had, had dramatically impacted our business. Our uh, rotten CFO was covering up losses with inventory games. I, I take 100% fault. I had gone and started a, a startup business that was running, growing quickly. That had me consumed. My dad had retired. That had him consumed. We brought in professional managers. They screwed it up. And um, you know, then we were in a turnaround. And I went to... Um, well, I went home and read all my college textbooks, not a thing about fixing a business there or running a business on cash or any of this. It's all these happy, happy stories about you two could be an entrepreneur. and Yeah, grow up, you know, seed, fund, seed funding. <laughs> yeah, and here's another book on Steve Jobs so you cannot be like him ever. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and um, and I went to Barnes and Noble the next day, and I, and you know four racks of books, not a single book on turnarounds. Then, well, actually, before I went to Barnes and Noble, late night I read my loan documents, which realistically I probably hadn't really read the first time, and realized I'm screwed. Then I went to bankruptcy schedules and realized you get like a couple of livestock, a, you know, a, a shotgun and a mattress, <laughs> um, and and realized I was screwed and had to get out of it, and. Um, my joke is it took us three years to pull off a six-month turnaround, um, but we did. Everything was literally everything was great except the balance sheet was still weak for sure. But you know, sales, profits, backlog, everything was marvelous. Then Hurricane Katrina rolled in. We were in New Orleans, wiped out my house, my neighborhood, the business again. Spent a year living in a trailer with three little kids and my wife. Rebuilt the the business during the day, the house on at nights, and um, dro- drove ourselves in the ground. My corporate attorney didn't understand insolvency. I went and talked to a bankruptcy attorney who was a one-trick pony, and all he knew was how to file bankruptcy. The bank was probably being okay, but I didn't understand how banks work, how they communicate, everything else. (laughs) And I thought, well, these guys aren't on my side, no matter what they say, because they're not speaking clear. Um, and we're going to put you into I, underwriting. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so then, uh, you know, so then I end up taking my our bankruptcy attorney's advice. We file personal and corporate bankruptcy. And um, then I'm flat on my ass with nothing. And uh, apparently I'm a very sore loser. And um, I just obsessed on re refighting this battle. And I read, I read everything on solvency. I gave up all my hobbies, gave up casual reading. I did nothing but focus on this. Took you know took crummy jobs just to get it back in the fight. Finally, my dad um, said, "You listen, go hang a shingle. You're never going to be happy unless you go become a turnaround consultant." Um, so I did, and '08 picked up. I'm trying to think of my timing here. '08, '09, and then uh, pick, picked up uh, my first good juicy client in um, in '09 in Detroit. Sales had fallen ninety percent in nine months. Um, you know, the, the, the message in Detroit in 09 was last mm-hmm. one out, turn off the lights. And, um, but I hit that thing with all the energy and all the um, piss offness I had stored in me from my own bankruptcy. We turned that thing profitable in two months. Uh, I had a great success. And, um, and that, uh, that healed me as much as I healed the business. And then I've just kind of rolled forward from there. In the last 11 years, that's all I've been doing is saving businesses. I've gotten, you know, my quick brag. The last three years, I've gotten Turnaround of the Year Award from the Turnaround Management Association. I think I got a really good chance at this year's and um, and then put out this book, um, which was just published last month. And it's pretty much everything I've learned uh, from getting my head kicked in to fixing dozens of businesses uh, along the way and, um, and, do- and doing a good job. And 
it's the book I should have read before I signed a personal guarantee or took on debt or, and all that stuff. So thank you for sharing. And the reason I chuckle throughout that story is I like, I, you're just like literally f- like speaking to the insides of my stomach. <laughs> like, cause I, I know, you know, it's Tuesday, quarter million dollars needs to be wired by Thursday. We have no money. What do we do? And I literally to this day, never forget it. My dad looked at me and I'm like, what in the F? And he's just like, go sell some shit. Cause we were factoring. We could sell our receivables. I'm like, that's that there's gotta be a better plan than that. And so here's my, your, your, your story speaks to my heart, Jeff, because that's literally my why I didn't go to become a turnaround consultant, but it, that's the reason for this podcast. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's, we went through that same story and we just thought we had to sell. So it was a different outcome, but like, there's so many things that could have been done differently. So I just, I, you know, anybody that comes across yet is blessed because, you know, there's a resource out there like that now. So we're going to, I think what we should do is, you know, you've got this book about how to turn around any kind of company in a hundred days. And, and there's a lot of practical tips that are going to be relevant for anybody that's on the spectrum of health for their company. But um, do, maybe we should kind of open up, like, what are you hearing that's going on right now? And like, I can, you know, we can kind of have a little conversation and, and how to take that into the, the practical things that are in your book. I mean, I mean, literally since the last time we talked, the whole world changed. So like, what, what, what's kind of the, the, the things that you're hearing from the different companies that you're and advisors you've been talking to? So one thing I have to remind myself is the entire world's not on fire. Clearly industries are, but others aren't. I'm um, involved in a uh, paper mill. We've had a surge of business because of the, the run on sugar and flour and pet supplies. And the farmers are all buying, uh, buying their seed early and stockpiling that. That'll balance out. I realize you're just pulling that volume forward. I'm involved in a pharmaceutical company. We're doing fine. Involved in a uh, industrial company that provides infrastructure. That infrastructure spending is going to be fine. But you know, at, at the same time, I'm loosely affiliated with a uh, uh, aerospace company that their their entire customer is Boeing, and it's just um, a, a disaster um, and, and ugly as hell. Talked to a private equity firm the other day who said it, it's almost like uh, somebody dumped out the, um, the the whole the whole drawer of knives. It's it's just like raining falling knives everywhere I look. <laughs> One friend is hibernating his company. Uh, literally, I mean, it just popped up in the last couple of weeks. They went from 100 employees down to 40, and they're just hibernating it. Uh, others are. Um, just stopped. I'm, I'm actually helping a friend liquidate his business. He threw in the towel a month and a half ago, and now he feels like the smartest guy ever because he would have never made it through this. But yeah, there's a lot. And, 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 then, and then the other is, uh, you know, if you're in a hotel or an airline or something, uh, you, you just have to hibernate. Like, I well, and, and we're going to dive into what does hibernate mean, right? And like, what what can you do as you look at your options? And I think you, you make up a, you brought up a good point. It, it is not. The whole world is not on fire, but you have to be very, I think you have to do your due diligence to look at what industries are thriving versus, you know, surviving versus literally that they're non-existent right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, and so the stat that I, you know, I was looking into the, the, the last couple of days is that of our GDP, I think now it's 40%. So that if, if 75% of the US economy is based on people spending money and 40% of that is now just services, and two thirds of that just has stopped. <laughs> like you start to like boil this down. And you're like, you know, uh, demand versus supply side economics. I mean, people aren't buying anything right now, and then they're investing. And so, like, what is you, what are you going to do? And I think you 
you know, as we look at like the, the, the things that you talk about in your book and how to attack if you're going to be acquiring and or what you should do to manage through this is like there, there are going to be opportunities to, to pivot, do the things you should be doing, should have been doing or to, you know, look at other companies as acquisitions too. Mm-hmm. So what, a, like, how do you want to navigate this? Because you have this book that's amazing. And like, I've watched, maybe I'll kind of set it up with this first comment is that I personally, Jeff, over the last six years of doing this, and have been diving into the balance sheets of people, entrepreneurs, and their businesses. We talked about mm-hmm. Mike Malkowitz and you know his book Profit First, and then uh, Jack Stack has been on my show, and we've talked about the financial illiteracy of business owners, mm-hmm. and like how he said, I think his stat was at like fifty percent of the S, of the um, the Inc. Five Thousand couldn't hit two their their Jack, Jack Sack's book that you know half of the the uh, the Inc 5000 couldn't meet two payrolls yeah yeah so then like when i look at these facts jeff i go holy shit everybody that i've you know the, the, when i say everybody the, the the general chunk of the bell curve has been managing cash flow like from like i mean just managing cash flow as an entrepreneur and so how do you when you look at what happens that shrinks up you're immediately dealing with some serious ramifications. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and you know, through my book, I, I talk about basically turnarounds are are absorbing hits to the balance sheet. And as your balance sheet head takes a hit, you have to leverage off your stakeholders' balance sheets, and that's uh, vendors, customers, and and your um, your workers. And then is you basically distribute that the impact of that hit, and then pull it back. And that's that's kind of the balance sheet story of a turnaround. In something like this, it, it's kind of overwhelming because if you're a hotel, there's nothing I can tell you um, other than you know <laughs> just, just stop paying people and hunker down. But the, but the way I look at it is, if you think about an 08, how fast or slow? Slow. The average CEO responded in 08. And 08 was a long buildup, right? We had mm-hmm. months and months and months. It was just this unfolding story. But if you look, on average, CEOs absolutely positively responded late. And then half of them responded worse than that, right? Because that's just the average. So then if you take and you look at now and what, what's the average CEO, how are they responding to this? For sure, they're responding late. That means half of the people are later than average. And you just... So the secret is there's going to be a hotel industry. There's going to be a... you know pick Whatever's hurting the worst right now, restaurant, what have you, there's going to be, a, there's going to be survivors. Where are you on that spectrum? Are you way, way, way better than average, ahead of the game, on your toes, kicking ass, or are you on your heels trying to see what happens next and checking it out and watching too much CNN? And I think that's the... And and you know, in the book, and, and while we've both been through this personally, I think mindset's the single biggest thing. And I, no one's ever spent an entire chapter talking about the mindset of an entrepreneur in a turnaround. And, um, and I thought that was missing in the literature. And I put it in, I did the best job I could on it. But I think it's critical how a CEO responds when they first get punched in the face by reality. It oh, drives man. everything. It right. really drives everything. And I've used the analogy this week of, you know, this industry, this business is currently being mugged in a dark alley. Um, and, 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 you know, what, what are you going to do about it? If you're the you know toughest, craftiest, most agile son of a gun in the world, you're going to figure out how to get out of that alley. And if you're not, if you're a spectator, you're just going to watch yourself get pummeled into the ground. You're going to get left there, and somebody's going to scrape you up in the morning. And it, I, you know, I think it's all about heels and toes. Are you on your toes, or you're on your heels? And 
as you know, as an entrepreneur, I look back and I was on my heels. I was hoping for good luck. I figured, well, this isn't really fair. You know, I was the kind of guy, well, if it came up heads five times in a row, it's got to be tails next time. No. You know, if, if I get, get a string of bad luck, it's got to be better tomorrow. No, it doesn't. Nope. You know, and, and then when you're on your toes, you're like, oh, good, more bad luck. Bring it on because <laughs> I wake up in the morning ready to take on bad luck. I'm the bad luck fighter and I'm the best bad luck fighter in America. And if you have that attitude, you'll probably survive. Oh, it's so true, Jeff. I mean, I just, there's too many stories from my personal experience. <laughs> and I'm just thinking like, I, I like I, I remember specifically looking at my VP of sales after we'd finally fired our GM and then just, I said all the maggots just disappeared too because they knew they were on the chopping block all while we couldn't pay our bills. And I like, <laughs> I like we just sold like a couple hundred thousand dollar uh, project and we had no people to deliver it. And I looked at him and I'm like, <laughs> we will laugh at this at some point, <laughs> trust me. But like, you know, what I, what I find interesting as we're going into this new reality and this shift is that I experienced all of this, kind of that journey. And then like this building of this business that I'm in now, all while there's been this insane bull run. So like the, the we had big problems while everybody else was kind of getting lazy. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I look at this and when there's been a lot of people not just sitting on their heels, but like sitting down, you know what I mean? Like yeah. just like really just comfortable and just not doing a lot of the fundamentals that need to be done right. And then I met my business partner who he outsourced CFO, like most brilliant financial and operational person I've met. And it's just like, that's just, you just do what's right all the time. And I'm like, well, you're just a total unicorn. (laughs) And so, but like when we go back to like, okay, like now if you have this, someone that's saying, okay, I should be doing what's right. Whether, wherever you're on the spectrum, how do you start? You know, so you get, you kind of wake up and you're like, I'm in a new reality now. Right. And, how the heck do I get in my arms around where I'm at today? I'm, gonna tr- I'm trying to think how to answer that in a general question because mm-hmm. I'm my mind is so used to just dialing in what's the problem, what's drill, 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 drill. You know, and my answer is going to be different for a restaurant owner who's in New York City who's completely shut down right now than a manufacturer in upstate New York who is worried about you know not being able to have employees at work. You know, ultimately it is. Um, focus, 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 focus. My, <clears throat> we often talk about finding. So you like, yeah, uh, uh, too many bad analogies through this conversation, but you have to deal with me. You know, you come upon an old uh, campfire, and if you dig away all the coals, there is a hot little ember in there. And if you put some kindling on it, you can spark the the, the ember back to life and, and create a fire. Every company has that little ember. And what I've gotten really good at over the last couple of years is buying failed and closed factories where it's done. Everybody's gone. Uh, the doors are padlocked and we go in and restart them. And and that's essentially grabbing that ember. I also um, meet a lot of entrepreneurs who, you know, uh, I call, or, you know, they call me and they say, I got a $50 million business and the bank's killing us and all these problems. And I go in and it's, um, they're doing 35 million. I'm like, hold on. I thought you said 50. Well, it was 50. We just got to get back to that and everything will be okay. I walk around like, you know, I think the 50 was sort of a vanity number. Um, I, you know, what purpose did it really serve? I'm a bottom line kind of guy. And I think you've got a really strong little core over here that might only be 20 million. But you know what? I trade you your 50 million unsustainable business for this 20 million rock solid, great customers, good margin business all day long. Because I can always get that up to 50. I can't sustain the crazy 50 you built. 
So, you know, what is the core? What is that glowing little ember that you can grab? And, and, and here's where the biggest obstacle is, because every entrepreneur has a video playing in their head. A client taught me this when I was talking to his brother. He, he's still in love with the video in his head of where this is all going, and he's out of touch with reality. When our business was failing, my dad said, well, we could always just fire everybody and you and I come in here and, uh, you know, you, you'll run the machine and I'll ship and uh, we'll make a good living. And I thought, well, who the hell wants that? You know, I, I have ambitions. I, you know, I want hundreds of employees. I want all this stupid stuff. And, um, you know, but I was young. And um, but, but now I look and I'm like, yeah, that makes a lot more sense. We should go in there, run the machine, ship, and then slowly hire in people to fill that role. And there's a business and it, it, and it's built on such a strong foundation. Um, so I think that's it. You got to clear your head of everything else. Go find that core, put your arms around it. Maybe it's just you and one customer that's going to make it through the storm, but figure out what's going what, what you can get through the storm with. No, another analogy, you've been in a horrible car wreck, save, save the heart. And if we can, if we can keep a couple limbs along the way, great. Um, mm-hmm. If we got to lose all of our limbs, but I can lay there and talk to my kids, um, w- let's do that. But too yep. many people die because they're trying to save the extremities and not focusing on the core. Most. Yep. Yep. And I think that's, uh, I do really, really like that analogy from not only the, what are we saving, but then how do we find that ember? So in the ember situation, you're talking about something that's profitable and needed in today's world, right? I think, mm-hmm. and, and I'm putting maybe words in your mouth, but like that, that's what it meant to me. Whereas in like, okay, someone's willing to pay me for yeah. this today. And there's a future potential based on, you know, not just in today's situation for the next six, six weeks, but like future potential to grow, you know, shift the business model, continue growing the profit of that. Right. And then, um, so then when you say, okay, like if we're going to save the heart first, we have to kind of take a full body scan. And so I don't know if I'm going to do a good bridge into the financials because, uh, you know, Ken San Gennaro has told me what I should have done many times, which we didn't do. <laughs> is, uh, you know, I don't know if you, do you start with a 13 week cash flow statement made like, what, how yes. do you like in, yes. Okay. <laughs> I was on track. <laughs> so like, where do you go? And then, and then what do you cut? And then how do you make sure that the, the ember doesn't get smothered? by the rest of the ash, right? So like, how yeah. do we assess where we're at? And we're, again, going back, you know, before you, before you kind of give your overview of this, if the spectrum of someone that is just going to be them, obviously, and if you're a hotel or restaurant and you're shut down, let's kind of put them over to the side right now. But these mm-hmm. are the people that are going, this is uncertain. I don't know where to go. And again, this could... Business is down 30%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. So like... Number one, 13-week cash flow. Um which I've got in my book. And quite frankly, if anybody sends me an email, I'll send them the Excel sheet uh, for it. That's um, That'll help. And then the second thing I do is a liquidation analysis. So basically go to your balance sheet. You know, right now today, count your AR at, at I'll tell you, the world sucks right now. I would normally say 90%. Count your AR at 70%. Uh, count your, in- knock your inventory down, you know, 25%. Take your, Book value of your M and E, you'll be lucky to get that. What else is there? Yo, leasehold improvements. A lot of people, you know this, and I went through my first turnaround. I didn't really understand the balance sheet, although I pretended I did. We leasehold <laughs> leasehold improvements are worth zero, so put a zero next to that. Retained earnings are worth zero. Um, accrued, you know, 
any, any, anything like that is just zero, 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 zero. This is hard, hard assets. And it sounds like, why in the hell would I do a liquidation scenario, uh, analysis on myself? The reason is because the bank's doing it on you. And that's what you're up Right to now, get. whether you know it or not. Yeah, right now. Absolutely. And trust me, I'm talking to lots of workout bankers. That's what you're doing. Well, in like... Um, remind me because I want you to finish it, but remind me, let's come back to the banks that are going to be under pressure too. I want okay. to, because, because it's about following all the way upstream, but let's, let's yeah. keep this train of thought. So, you know, the, the scary place to be, if, if you can, so you do a liquidation analysis and you realize that even if you're liquidated under really bad terms, the bank's going to get paid back completely. That's great for you, but it's also bad because the bank might say, let's just go liquidate them and take that cash because we've got to go generate a billion dollars on our balance sheet. Mm -hmm. um, so that puts you in, in the crosshairs or you're sort of, it's a close call on whether or not the bank would get paid in full. That's actually pretty good because they're not going to be too quick. They're going to want to study it more or you're completely underwater and the bank's going to take a bath on you. That's pretty good. Because uh, that's that's the ticket into a conversation. <laughs> you know, what are we going to do about this? Yeah, kind of the old. You know, if I owe the bank a million bucks, I got a problem. If I owe the bank ten million bucks, the bank's got a problem. Um, <laughs> and um, and they're not really being an honest to God. Train wreck is a um, is a from a liquidation analysis on the balance sheet is a fairly safe place to be because no one's going to rush in and knock your head off or mug you because there's nothing in your wallet. Um, and, and, and there's time to, to sort it out. I'm glad you're articulating things that I've experienced in just a fantastic <laughs> way. I just, before they were just feelings that I had. Now I know actually <laughs> what they meant. Okay. So let's before we go into the bank, uh, rabbit, rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. Um, so the purpose of the, the 13 week cash flow statement is just to understand when it, okay, let's go into maybe, and I don't know if that ties into your cash conversion cycle, but just understanding cash and, and, just to get kind of as we tee into the tee up to this, this is what you should be doing no matter what. That's why my business partner has been doing this for companies for 40 years. And the amount of people that I see that do this are like zero. And that's mm -hmm. the reason that Mike Malkowitz has a book called Profit First and he tells people to do it with their bank accounts because people are not building cash flow statements. Yeah. So explain what it is and what insights do you get from it once you start doing this and what decisions do you start making afterwards? So the 13 week is arbitrary. It's a quarter. And and really what, what a business owner should do now is do their cash flow statement out into, you know, maybe a year, uh, out in somewhere beyond failure, because probably everybody's set up for failure. And quite frankly, if your cash flow shows you're going to be fine, either it's wrong or good for you, you're in the right business. But but what so it's really just money in, money out. So every week we're going to collect receivables. Maybe we borrow against, you know, maybe we borrow against shipments on a revolver. Basically, what money's we sell off assets? What money's coming in, and then what money goes out? We've got a you know payroll vendors, all this stuff. You just stack it up week by week, <clears throat> and then and then and then there's a balance, and you have your cash balance at the beginning of the week and the end of the week, and that either goes up or down, or kind of you know goes up and down over time and seasons and whatnot. Chances are, when everybody does, if everybody does their on the way they're running their company in January projecting forward into this reality, they're going to see it running out of money. So let's say you're going to run out of money in eight weeks. Then the question is, okay, you got eight weeks, what are you going to do? And it's real obvious, pull in more cash and send out less cash. And by having every single solitary account there, you can go through them one at a time. Okay, 
let's go call Acme and let's collect from them 15 days earlier. Okay, what's ABC? I think we can push push off paying them a week or two. And you're, my God, you've been through this like every day. Smiling, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's just that massaging, massaging, massaging and pushing that date of oblivion out further. If I can take it from six, sorry, eight weeks to 12 weeks, I just picked up a month of life. And the entire, especially now, the entire mental attitude is I have to survive to fight another day. I don't care how ugly it is. I can go down to like literally, you know, me and one customer in my basement, but that gives me the opportunity to find another day. And that's so much more glorious than going out of business with 200 people and, um, and just run, you know, running right into the wall, not paying attention. Um, so, so true. Cause it takes a lot of, cause what you're avoiding in the 200 person situation is you're avoiding, you're, you're dealing with one massive blow to your ego instead yeah. of, instead of, I mean, what, what, what we're talking about here, regardless of whether you're a good company and like, let's say you're, cause you're talking about uh, like when you're break even for cash, but you could be doing this to say, I want to have a million dollars and then I want two. Right. I mean, like you could be doing it for whatever number, however many ones or zeros you want on, on the number. This is how you do good business. And they're consistently freaking hard decisions. Yeah. <laughs> like that's what, right. I mean, that's just, yeah. how am I going to deal with this? And then being really open and honest with people, maybe kind of yeah, give some, ex- so once you have that 13 week cash flow, 13 week cash flow statement, explain the difference probably that you've seen of two different types of entrepreneurs. One that probably lie and don't deal with the right, have the right conversations and the ones that do. How to explain those two different situations. Yeah. So, and, and when I go in usually, well, it's the AP clerk that, um, that it has it, just been hammered, right? Because <laughs> he A warrior of all warriors, the drummer boy, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, they just, they have no credibility left. They keep coming up. They, you know, whatever their boss tells them, they tell the customer when they're getting paid. They've, they've made a hundred promises. None of them have come true. They're just hammered. And I, so if I go, if I step into a, a crisis, which is generally the only thing I do, I just stop paying everybody immediately. I sit on the checkbook. We don't pay anybody until the phones blow up. And then we prioritize payments by how the phones are blown up, and, you know, and obviously common sense. Uh, I took over a uh, trucking company one time. We didn't have a lick of cash. The bank said they were liquidating them on Friday. I went in there on Monday and I knew I had a couple days to make a difference. We didn't pay anybody. We hunkered down. I gave the bank some confidence. By the following Monday, we were at all the diesel suppliers that cut us off. Um, our trucks were starting to idle, but I had a million dollars in cash um, that didn't go out the door the last week. So I bought some tanks of diesel. I paid some people and we just slowly, slowly, slowly built. And that gives you, cash is your oxygen. Cash gives you time to go do the other stuff. The other stuff is fundamentally raise prices and cut costs, but that doesn't happen quickly. So you've got to you've got to mon- you know basically create and monitor oxygen or cash to keep you alive to go do the other stuff uh, you know in the in the guts of the business. Well, and then but you can I- do stuff radically fast. I mean, I've gone in and um, yeah, and, and let's just let me get this or let me make this clear. My job is not to make the world a better place. My job is not to create harmony and fairness. My job is to save one company. And when I'm done with that, I go save another company. Mm-hmm. And I do that 100% and I don't think about anything else 
maybe that doesn't make me a good citizen, but it makes me a hell of a good company saver. And well, when I'm, when, you know, it, if I'm, if I'm in cardiac arrest, I want my cardiologist to, to make sure he's only worried about that and nothing else. And, um, and so, you know, I've, I, when I've had to, I've uh, called the customers and said, Hey, two changes. One, everything's due today. Uh, also, we're adding a 10% premium on all the invoices. So you owe us a million dollars over the next 30 days. Now you owe me a, a 1.1 million today or we're not shipping any. That's a great way to piss off your customers. But it creates, you know, they send it in. Now I got a million, 1.1 million to deal with. You can go around and, and you've seen in my book, a lot of it is what can I, I've done this and it sounds insane, but it's never failed because of what I did. It never, it never, it's never failed because of how aggressive I was. I've done that where, you know, you jack the price up on everybody, you collect immediately, you come up with all these crazy terms because it generates enough cash, maybe three months worth of cash. And my bet is in a month and a half, I can get the business profitable. I can get it going in the right direction. And then I've got probably a month and a half to go kiss my customer's ass and make it up to them and tell them how sorry I was for the heavy handedness and that we really should be friends to get along. And that was a temporary thing that's in the past. It's not going to be like that going forward. And that's worked. It's, it's absolutely worked. It's also failed, but it's not because I couldn't keep the customers. It's because the cutting wasn't severe enough at the beginning. Well, yeah. yeah. And, and I think there's even a note of, because I read the, uh, um, one of the sections where you talked about having empathy, right? Because I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, you're doing a lot of this because you have to, but doesn't mean you have to lose your you know, humane part of yourself where you can go and talk to people and say, hey, here's what I'm dealing with. Here's the priorities. And I'm assuming, and let me a little caveat, this depends on how well you've treated your customers and suppliers and vendors thus far, right? Because <laughs> if you've been a... To, uh, yeah. So me, I go in and I just say, I don't care how you've been treated in the past. This is a new relationship. I'm here. We're going to start clean. But you're, you're right. If, if you're a legacy entrepreneur fixing your own problems, yeah, how you've treated people. My dad always paid people three days early, always paid in 27 days. And he did it for like 15 years because he said, someday I'm going to need a favor. And what's three days to me now? And yep. uh, when we needed a favor, everybody let us go to 90 days immediately. Yep. Which is a that's cash, <laughs> yeah, that's cash, <laughs> and that that um, yeah that that saved us. Well, and I think so because I think let's because I think you're right. I mean, let, let's do a couple of different things. One is that you you have to do that stuff again. Those are the hard things that you have mm-hmm. to do to get your oxygen back. But let's take someone that is in like the thirty percent down. I've got to like probably right size this ship, you know, redo my forecast models and say, well, where's my oxygen going to come from, and how do we maintain this? Then having those conversations in almost building a plan with your vendors. I mean, there's this whole conscious capitalism book out there. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's uh, mm-hmm. you know like just working with your team of your suppliers and customers and saying, here's what I'm trying to do. And then I might be able to then take, you know, what you're doing right now. I mean, it, maybe it's a little bit different because everybody's suffering right now. Yeah, it's um, different now. Because it goes back to when you're saying uh, about absorbing that into the balance sheet and what, who are you leaning on? Because you, you, you find out who your real team members are in their ecosystem at that point. Yeah. yeah. And, and I have to, you know, so even the relationship and everything else, people rally around the plan and people rally around the leadership. And if you step forward with, this is a good plan, 
it's going to hurt you, 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 and you, and it's going to hurt us all equally, but the plan's going to work. People will stick with it. And that's, it's hard to explain. And, and certainly people don't understand. I think people get fixated on, holy cow, this guy sounds like a barbarian because he'll go mug this guy and mug that guy and mug all these people and mistreat his customers. But all my, all my turnarounds work really well because I build alliances and ultimately I get everybody's support. And it, the customers have to consume, the lenders have to lend, the suppliers have to supply, and the workers have to work. And if all four of those groups do their job, the turnaround will work. Now, the, the lenders might have to lend more than they wanted to. The customers might have to consume more than they wanted to. The workers are damn sure going to work harder than they wanted to. And the suppliers might have to supply on more terms than they wanted to. But if I can get all of them to do that, the turnaround works. If I go in and offend everybody in a destructive way, it all falls apart and it doesn't work and we don't go anywhere. And you have four legs of the stool. It's kind of your thing right there, isn't yeah, it? exactly. And, um, and, and that's, that's the key. So it's, it's, it's cajoling and <laughs> persuasion and a bit of arm bending to get what you need uh, from everybody and rebalance it. The other stool analogy is um, you go into your turnaround, it, most companies... Uh, employees have been paid on time in full every two weeks, no questions asked. Vendors have been paid on time in full regularly for years and years and years, except the last 90 days has been pretty bad. Customers have gotten their product on time, quality for years and years and years. Everybody's gotten what they needed. The fourth leg of that stool is the owner who hasn't made any money, is completely starved and stressed out and having a horrible experience. We just got to go rebalance the stool. Yep. Customers got to pay a little more. Suppliers got to charge a little less. Workers got to work a little harder. And if you do that, the whole thing balances out. If I go in as a new owner, then it's pretty easy. Uh, we just reset the table. But you know, as a uh, as, as a legacy entrepreneur now dealing with it, you kind of got to go claw that back. And uh, you might be right, but no one's no one's volunteering to give you all that stuff. Well, and you made a good point, Jeff, a really good point is that everybody rallies around a plan. And I'll tell you what, even being in the shit storm that we were in for years, mm -hmm. like our employees were amazing and our vendors were great to work with people like, cause they, they, you, you, you nailed it is they know that if this doesn't survive, they're out of a job or they can't yeah. get paid or they can't get their product or they're cut. I mean, so if you can at least like, and there, it, people know that the things are bad, right? So like you might as right. well say things are bad, everybody. And everybody goes, okay, well, thank, thank God they finally admitted it. And then by the way, <laughs> here's the plan. You know what I mean? So like it, it's- credibility you get when you say, here's the deal, here's my balance sheet, here's my liquidation analysis. This is what we're up against. The only way you're going to get paid is helping me survive. Let's do it together. Yep. I, I, I literally remember that with the day that it was me, my CFO, my CIO, my VP of sales, my dad, and then one of our sales rep, and we were sitting up front on a Friday at like 5.30 having a beer and just laughing about the stupid shit that went on that week. Just like, <laughs> but like it was true, like, like genuine laughter and camaraderie because of like, we were in it together. I mean, it was, yeah. it was truly, it was, it was cool. I mean, better than, better, better culture building experience than I've seen in some of the best, like profitable companies. Yeah. Well, I think you said the, the best of times brings out the worst of people. Mm -hmm. The worst of times brings out the best of people. It's entirely true. And I think everybody deep down inside wants to that sort of Rocky Balboa thing. You know, they've had success in the past. They know what it tastes like. They're, you go into these companies who have just been failing slowly for years. Right. They're tired. They want to be on a winning team. They're willing to get up and do push-ups at four in the morning if there's a plan, if it leads to something. 
And, and that's my role is I step in and say, here's the plan. I have all the confidence in the universe. Let's go get it. And that's, that's it. You know, I just, I just point the way. So then what are some of the other, because some of the other practical things that you end up doing as someone is starting to see oxygen come in, right? The, the breathing is starting to steady. We start having the, the, the four legs of the stool normalize because yep. I, I do want to keep like, <clears throat> excuse me, hammering this through is it doesn't matter if you're not, if you're, if you're on the spectrum where this is not you and you're not suffering for cash, this mm-hmm. is literally what the best run companies do anyways, right? So like yes. this is true business, right? This is what the best private equity firms have been doing, you know, Blackstone for 40, 40 years, right? Mm-hmm. So like as you're starting to breathe oxygen, what are the different things that you're doing? And what are the, I mean, you, you talked about cash conversion cycle that people should be measuring and what, what kind of insights do you start to be focusing on other things like you mentioned with the cash? Well, I'll, I'll, yeah, just on that real quick, uh, I'm uh, involved in three companies right now uh, as an owner and I get a daily flash every single day with our, our cash and our borrowing ability, total headroom. And the other key metrics, um, we do, you know, rolling uh, cash forecast for all the companies. But you're right, most companies, certainly most entrepreneurs, don't do a cash flow forecast. Even when everything's fabulous and we're doing great, we do the you know the daily um, headroom report and the weekly cash flow because you have to. It's the most fundamental thing in, in, in all of business. Why don't people do it? Do you think? Oh, because business schools don't teach it. <laughs> no, it's just not taught. It's just not taught. And and then if you ask people like, why don't you do a cash flow? And they go, oh, hold on. And they go dig out the um the, the accounting the accountant's year end statement, the auditor review, and there's a statement of cash flows. And they're like, this no, that's backwards looking. This is forwards looking. Um, it's not taught. I don't know why. You know, why it's, I have no earthly idea. Is it because like because I and, and I want to like maybe pull this a little bit and then get into like what the cash flow statement is I mean, maybe it's more like, you know, you can, you can shed some more light of what's on it and the mm-hmm. decisions you can start making when you have it. Cause like, you know, I was never a finance guy, Jeff. I mean, I literally was not good in finance and then all of a here mm-hmm. you and I are talking this and, and it's like, with you. and in the reality is, is like, it, so it, it sounds like lots of work. And so like, I see a lot of entrepreneurs that do the Mike Malkowitz thing, or, or like he's at least saved them a little bit going from like, like what cash do we have? Buy stuff, don't buy stuff, buy stuff, look at the bank. I mean, it's bank balance accounting versus truly what kind of machine have you run? And then you kind of shift these gears to going like, like you can build a cash flow machine, which is the whole yes. point. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So your face yeah. light up. Right. I mean, like that's <laughs> fun, right? That's the kind of game you should want to play instead of, most people just have a job that they can't leave and it's got personal guarantees and they have no idea because they've got themselves trapped in this cash flow conundrum of tribal knowledge. <laughs> they, they have no idea how to get out of. And, and it seems normal to them. So uh, the, trucking, <laughs> right, right. the trucking company I mentioned, it was in February and the guy goes, yeah, we don't have any cash. He goes, big deal. It's February. We never have cash in February. For 20 years, I haven't had cash in February. And for 20 years before that, my dad never had cash in February. I'm like, Bill, don't you think that's a problem we're solving? Oh, like just, it never dawned on them that that's but a then problem. People don't know how then, right? Is that kind of like, they don't know why or like where to turn? Because like most accountants don't know how to do this. 
Yeah. But getting back to the 13 week cash flow. So like if I go into business and let's say the accounting is a disaster, there's no accounting to speak of. I will literally, I mean, I've done this. I've taken all the stack of all the invoices off the accountant's desk, taken them home at night and just every single one, or at least every single vendor typed in the balance Type in the due date, and that's essentially your cash flow. So at the top, it's sort of your cash in, cash out, almost a summary. And then the bottom, it's a listing of all the bills. Um, you know, you might do it's either individual vendors or maybe categories like utilities mm-hmm. um, instead of listing out all the utility providers. And but it, it's that level of detail. And I can go in, look around the business, grab the invoices, go home, type them into my computer at night. And in the morning, I know more about that business than anybody else, the owner, the controller, somebody else, because I know the cash flow. And if you know the cash flow forecast, you know the business. And just, there's nothing more true I can say than that. Well, I mean, so now let's take this outside of a desperate business owner and someone that's just listening. I'll tell you what, the amount of data that you can get from this hard work, like my partner always says, it's not complicated. It's just hard work. (laughs) because <laughs> i'm like it's so true because it's just annoying it's annoying shit that a lot of entrepreneurs don't like to do however when you get that that discipline equals freedom right where like mm-hmm. when you say you now have more information in the business think about the decisions you can make in the so maybe let's take in two two different uh uh kind of statements or questions is one is like what kind of what kind of decisions can you make once you have that so like, cause it's worth the work, right? Once that, once you start to see the decisions you can make and then tie on how doing this is the only way you're going to be able to accelerate your growth because growth consumes capital. And most people go, I want to go from 25 million to 40 million. And they have no right. idea what the hell that's going to take. So let's take the growth part second, but like, like what kind of decisions and freedom and control do you have once you have that? Um, well, a lot of, you know, and then go back to your cash uh, conversion cycle, which is, you know, the, the time you have to pay vendors, the time it collects, it takes you to collect your receivables, and then the time it takes you to produce your widget or your service. Time to produce plus time to collect minus time to pay is uh, is your cash cycle. That's what it is. And if you want to, if you're always struggling to make payroll at the end of the month and you need a $20,000 cushion, you look and you say, how do I create another twenty grand at the end of the month? I'm going to push these folks out a week or two. I'm going to pull these guys in and collect a little bit faster. And if I do that, then all of a sudden that problem, that monthly stressor is gone. I did that for a company that did same thing. They were, they were over advancing on their line of credit every month for like 20 years. And finally the banker sent me in. He's like, you're the nicest people in the world. Just help them out. I looked at him like, okay, we basically collected a week's worth faster. We paid a week's worth slower. I created two weeks of extra cash flow. They never had a problem again. It was just that simple. And everybody was happy. The customers were happy to support it. The vendors were happy to support it. Everybody was happy. And that, and then you can watch your, your and then you can say, well, I want to go from making up numbers, a hundred grand, you know, sort of low monthly balance to 200 grand low monthly balance. How do I do that? And you just start manipulating numbers. It's a tool for you. To, and you can, you know this, you can get lost for hours in it. Um, you, you just start wiggling stuff around. You just keep moving stuff, moving stuff, moving stuff. And I'm like, okay, that's how I can get to 200 you know, minimum cash balance in the next number of weeks. The other thing about what everybody's going to miss in this crisis is think about how race car drivers go into a turn. 
the the technique is you brake hard at the beginning of the turn and then and then you accelerate just past the apex of the turn and so this economy everybody's been driving 80 miles an hour on a straight road for like years and years it's just been wonderful there's a turn coming up we know it. it's kind of like here most people are going to hit the brakes not just average you're going to hit them too late a race car driver is going to hit it way before average so they're going to hit it too late and then they're going to get either banged up or they're going to be shell sh so shell-shocked that they're going to be late to hit the gas. They're mm -hmm. going to hit the gas way too late. And if you're really sharp, you jam on the brakes, wipe out all your costs, sink into sort of a hibernation, protect the, the glowing ember state, and protect your energy and your cash and, and, and all that stuff. And then as soon as the clouds start to break, freaking hammer down because no one else is accelerating it at that point. They're all still completely freaked out, holding on to, you know, whatever they're trying to hold on to. And um, I'll tell you, this is what, so the gap, let's say, you know, take, take an industry and everybody's within a fairly tight range, you know, plus or minus 10 points from average. Coming out of this, you'll see that range will probably be plus or minus 20 points mm -hmm. um, uh, from the average. And that's, that's what happens. Winners and losers are made in these things, and it doesn't have to be the best-run company or the richest company or the fattest balance sheet going into or the it. most amount of employees or most revenue, which we all know are vanity metrics. <laughs> yeah, but it, but it's it's how you react. My uh, one of my mentors uses the term rat-like cunning. It's rat-like cunning is going to be the, uh, the the most valuable trait in the next six months in America. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, I get so many visuals. Um, so the, but like, and I think of, let's take that into, you know, I love the, the breaking and then the turning because I think that this, regardless of where you're at in the life cycle of your business or the life cycle of your career as an entrepreneur, I mean, mm -hmm. I've been trying to you know, speak the language of grow the value of your company with the end in mind. And honestly, people have been blind to it for like years because it's been so good and cash has been great. And now it's like, now it's time to pay attention. Let's do the right work. And if you take the 13-week cash flow statement, you build a trailing 12 months, you look at your, you actually look at your financials the right way from your balance mm -hmm. sheet, cash flow statement, and you tie in the P&L and you build the forecast. Like think about Jeff, what someone could do as they're building this and hunkering down and cutting some costs and then going into growth, right? Like whether you're going to acquire someone, how you want right. to do that. And, like, and maybe can, you can give some examples of like when you have this kind of data, what products and services you should either cut or ones you should double down on. And what, how does that lend to your growth strategy and your acquisition strategy? And how does that consume capital? Because most people don't understand how all that ties together. You're right. And, and you just reminded me of something else, you know, skew rationalization, every business and every aspect has that Pareto 80-20 rule. Um, you don't need 31 flavors to sell mostly chocolate and vanilla. And, you know, so people should, through all that should be doing all that kind of trimming. You also, your business, which I realize is helping people engineer away from here to there. Quite frankly, I think that's all cash flow statement um, or, or cash flow forecasting. Because that builds your balance sheet, and that basically runs your balance sheet. Um, so normalized EBITDA, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, again, even you know, even when times are good and you're trying to get to some five-year exit, that's the, the tool we've been talking about. I think is the most valuable tool. Most people, you know, a lot of them just sort of hope they get there without a great plan. And yeah, it is you know the, the the hitting the gas and where you spend. You clearly 
build your cash balance or maintain as much of it as you can. And then it's that same forecasting tool where you put in, okay, we're going to hit the gas on this service and not that service coming out of the recession. Or we're going to shift over here or over there. And, and the impact are all right there. And I didn't say this earlier, but I'm going to say now, throw out your P&L. I wouldn't even worry about it at this point. The bank doesn't care about the P&L at this point. It's probably shot the way the economy is going. And focusing on it is just a drain of energy. Which is what normally people care about. That's the only thing to look at, which is the most irrelevant out of all of them. Yeah. When I go into business, 13-week cash flow, and I mean, I've literally turned around businesses and left and never really paid attention to the P&L in maybe a couple months later. And, you know, we flush all the bad stuff out and then start fucking normal. P&Ls, but man, it is all cash flow forecast. So then what what do you do in, I want to make sure I remember my question about growth, um, but what do you do when in the time like now, you don't know when your people are going to pay? Right. Uh, squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. <laughs> yeah. Put on your <laughs> emotional they're armor. Always, they're always going to pay somebody. They're always going to pay somebody and they're going to pay them first. And it'll probably be the utilities and you just got to work your way up there. Um, and, and, you know, the old rat like cunning, but there's not enough food for everybody. You let there be enough food for you. Yeah. Yep. So then shifting to the growth and when, when I've done quite a few podcasts about growth, consuming capital from more entrepreneurs that mm-hmm. dealt with that um, and how they dealt with investors and when to take distributions, when to grow. And I, you know, there's a common story that I tell like a lot of people, you know, whether they're running EOS or some sort of operating system and that, you know, or you're in a peer group and like, I'm going to go from five to 10 million. And it's mm-hmm. just like, people don't even understand what that means or how you're going to get there, right? That's like saying, I'm going to go to Florida and they're going to go, how? Are you walking, you flying, you kite surfing? How long right. is it going to take? How many stops? You know, all that. <laughs> do you have any food? The, uh, you know, explain what that, like, I'm sure you've got stories, Jeff, of people that have literally probably grown themselves into bankruptcy. So like, yeah. you know, explain when I say growth, mean, growth consumes capital, what does that mean to you? And what are the, the things that people should be wary of? Um, so to go from the five to ten, you've got a um, you've got to double your inventory, you've got to double your receivables, you've got to double your payables, and all those uh, are real, honest to God, working capital cash that has to come from somewhere. And you know, and, and if your stakeholders aren't going to help you carry that water, then you've got to do it all on your own, which is either going to be debt or equity. So explain that, and I, I agree with you. I'm just thinking for the listener that is not as uh, familiar with the, the finance lingo is like, sure. what are the problems that they deal with? So when you say ca- that consumes cash, so like yeah. where are they feeling those pains and what, what, how is that actually manifesting itself? So, um, and, and I'll tell you what, if I'm not answering the question, good, fill in for me. I will. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but we're, we're going to grow. So we'll hire new salespeople. Wham, there's a cost. So new salespeople book new orders. Awesome. We got to have more inventory. There's your second cost. Okay, we just increased sales a million bucks this month. We're not going to collect that for 45 days. There's a million dollars tied up for 45 days, and we're paying more salespeople, and we've got more inventory, and your cash balance just creeps down. And if you're not running the business on a cash flow forecast, you get your PL out and you go, Whoa, look at that. Revenue's up, sales are up, everything's <laughs> great. You get your balance sheet, and the numbers are all bigger, and you Balance sheet's kind of confusing because it is to most people, and it looks okay. And you know, and then and then you're two months later, your bank comes and visits because they're doing the, the deep analysis that entrepreneurs don't do. 
Yeah, and you're sitting there going, everyone thinks says I'm growing great. Why am I drinking a bottle of whiskey? Because I got no cash and I can't pay anybody. Yeah. <laughs> no, I yeah. think that, that that that's that's what exactly what I wanted to get across because regardless of whether you're trying to survive and come out of this versus grow to that level and then mm-hmm. have a EBITDA that gives you multiple that you want, understanding this is huge. And so having it and doing this and, and with the numbers, you go to the bank and say, this is the line of credit I need. Right? Or this mm-hmm. is the capital I need. And if you're, you're going to bring an investor in, you can say how much you need and why you need it instead of just randomly going to the well, not knowing when the well is going to not be available yeah. for you. That's the only way to have credibility, uh, you know, going, going to those people. Um, I, I don't want to go too far afield, but <laughs> I, a- uh, one, thing, one thing that most people never, ever think of. So, you know, if I can get an entrepreneur thinking about, okay, here's how to shift the balance sheet to and fro, and here's how to shift your business to and fro. What they don't usually think about is here's how to shift your equity to and fro to accomplish something. If I was a small business in an in a industry that's booming right now, I would seriously consider a very quick uh, joint venture with a much stronger partner, right? If, if I'm in a... Um, medical equipment right now, business is booming, it's probably going to boom, and it's probably going to stay that way for a while. Uh, and I don't, if I don't have the capital to go make hay, to go make acquisitions, to bring on new salespeople, to ramp up that inventory, to ramp up the receivables and consume all the cash, but I've got a good solid business, I might go to a really, really strong competitor and, and not try to sell, but try to do some sort of distribution agreement or some sort of joint venture where I can basically leverage their balance sheet to accomplish my goals. It'll cost me equity. That's okay. But you know, it, with a good plan, um, you'd probably be better off. At the same time, if I was on the back end, I might go to um, a bigger competitor and say, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come out of this, but I'm going to need some money to restart my restaurant or my business. And I need to leverage your balance sheet to do that. If you, it, you know, It's going to cost me equity, but I need your balance sheet. And if I can do that, then I'll get the business back up and running. But you know, you especially all these guys that are stopped, they need an infusion. The mm-hmm. banks are not going to give them an infusion. Uh, angel investors, folks like that, are they just don't move that fast. They're going to be overwhelmed by the chaos. But somebody who knows your industry, mm-hmm. knows mm-hmm. you, knows where you're capable, knows you're a great operator, you're a great PL guy, you're just you, you don't have the balance sheet to get through this, they'll they'll support that. But too many entrepreneurs are locked into I own it all. I got to own it all. And I'm not going to shift that. That shifts. That should be open to shifting every bit as much as everything else. Yep, yep. So I agree with you. And I don't know how much time you got, but I, if we got a couple more minutes, I'd love to get your thoughts on the, how the banking story is going to unfold. And I, we don't have to have like a multiple, we can keep it pretty concise here. But like when you look at like where, like from the federal level, funds have dried up, right? I mean, you got pension funds that are broke and probably going to be stressed even more. You've got the money market fund, like everything is just dried up. So your banks that you're working with, like you mentioned it earlier, they're dealing with their own balance sheet issues, right? So like, and the community bank and the creditors and their, their board of directors is they're getting their money from someone. You know what I mean? If it's one of the big banks or the big banks are looking to the feds right now going, I need this. so you look at this whole waterfall. Where do you see? I mean, what are your thoughts? I mean, like I said, it's it's a loaded question, but I'm just curious, kind of curious where you think. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, I thought 
the, you know, I, I didn't think it was going to be this bad, right? I thought it was going to be a bump. And and I thought the banks would be less patient than they were in 08. 08, 09, there was like extend, pretend, well, 09, 10, 11. It was extend and pretend these, these notes. They were not aggressive. They didn't really foreclose on people because the banks were shot and the whole credit market collapsed. So they didn't have the strength to do that kind of stuff. And, and the Fed gave them leeway. That's probably about where we are now. I think there's this is so bad, there's going to be extend and pretend, there's going to be that stuff. But again, they start feeding at the bottom and or liquidating at the bottom and they work their way up until they've accomplished their goal. And if you're at the bottom, they're going to, if you're at the bottom and you're like a, a big ripe plum, they're going to come pick you. Yep. It just happens. I, I, I mean, I can name entrepreneurs who just got creamed in 09. They were hanging on doing fine, saw the light at the end of the tunnel, everything was going to be okay, and they got foreclosed on out of nowhere because that bank needed cash on their balance sheet, and they were just wiping out you know, the bottom 100 borrowers. Yep, yep. And, I, I, and I think if there's a big takeaway here from that part of the conversation is if you have your financial forecasts and your cash flow forecasts and you have this plan, I would recommend that if you're not going to the bank and you're saying, this is what I need. And if you can't do this, and then you like flip the power dynamics, because you're probably dealing with some salesperson that doesn't have shit for uh, decision-making abilities that's getting, I mean, even, even if it's the owner of the, the community bank, they're getting their money from somewhere. And, mm-hmm. and, I, and I love them and they're good people, but it's just the nature of the world, right? They have their, it's a business and yeah. they need to keep their business afloat and they're looking at you. And you know, if you don't, have a balance sheet that balance or like anything, they're just going to say, give me your assets. I don't know. Yeah. They, they have fiduciary responsibilities yeah. to the federal government and depositors and shareholders. They have no fiduciary responsibility to you whatsoever. Um, and, and, you know, they're going to do their job. And that is, and, you know, and a bank has really only two departments, lending and collecting. The lender's <laughs> the guy with the, with the expense account, the, the smile, the strong handshake and the low golf score. Uh, the, the, the collection... <laughs> The collection uh, guy you've never met. They don't let them out of the dungeon, uh, the basement. And, and when you uh, meet them, it's not good. They don't have an expense account. But if you really know that game, workout's a better place to be because the salespeople don't know what to do. They can't restructure debt. Their hands are really tied. And, and you'll, you'll waste critical oxygen screwing around with them. If you can get yourself to the workout department, they're really tough guys and they play tackle but they'll work with you. If you have a good plan, you need to be in workout. If you don't have a good plan, stay away from them because they'll hit you with their plan. I would say right now, get your stuff together, do your 13-week cash flow, read my book. It's for 30 bucks. It's the cheapest uh, investment you'll ever make. And then go see the bank and become the shining student. Become the one they like. They're all humans at the end. Out of the reputations workout bankers have, they're good people. They want to see these businesses survive. They hate it. It hurts them in their heart when businesses go under. They know all the tragedy, but they have a job. They have a very tough job to do. And if you're the A student with a smile on your face, always showing up five minutes before class, always got your shit dialed tight, they'll protect you. Is, they, you know, they, it's not a guarantee, but they'll absolutely positively protect you. Well, and I would even, if I can even interject there, Jeff, is even if you're the C student with all those characteristics, who's trying really, really hard. Yes. Right. I mean, it doesn't have to be just necessarily a, which is what. Oh yeah. The, yeah. I didn't really mean. No, 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 I know. I just, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you made that point. And, and 
be, and it's okay because they're just going to go get the guys that are asleep that aren't trying very hard. They don't <laughs> have their stuff together. And all you have to do is just stay away from that bottom part that's being ground up um, and, and you'll survive. And, and they, you know, good workout bankers. It's amazing. Most of them are really good and they will, will support you. But, oh my God, the guys who are just like, you know, sitting still, hoping for good luck, they get creamed. It's yep. awful. So if someone wants to read your book, wants to find you, needs help, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Uh, books on Amazon and uh, Jeff at DorsetPartners.com, D-O-R-S-E-T Partners.com. And uh, we, this is what we do. We fix businesses and we also are very active buyers of distressed industrial businesses. And, and you know, we're, we're becoming active. I, this has been a blast, Jeff. I appreciate your time coming on the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Great meeting you. I hope you had a bunch of takeaways from that. And I think there's one big one that you should constantly think about and then you should bring home is do your best work all the time, regardless of how successful your business is. Put your financials in order, build the foundation because the amount of decisions that you can make and how fast you can make them to capitalize on opportunities is worth the hard work. Whether you're going to be acquiring companies or being the one to be able to save your customers or be able to figure out where to make cuts, how to pivot, it's absolutely the best way to run a company no matter what. I suggest that you text 66866, text the word intentional. I'll shoot you some information about our digital course that's going to be coming out that has the the best information from our two-day bootcamp that's normally five grand. We're going to be uh, putting everything together for $295. It's also going to have a free module about how to get your foundation in order today, things that you can be doing to managing your cash, templates about how to have conversation with, with different vendors and suppliers. And then you can pull out of this and then go capitalize on opportunities by using the five principles and how to intentionally grow the value of your company with the end in mind. Again, text 66 866, the word intentional, and then I'll shoot you some emails. And then hopefully we can have a conversation and help you get through these times to be able to come out and be thriving compared to everybody else who is just trying to figure out what they're going to be doing tomorrow. <music>